2: Welcome to Cramerica. I want to make friends. So I was trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and to teach you. So call me at one 743 cbc or tweet me at Jim Kramer. I hate to be a Cassandra, but the IPO cycle is playing out exactly, exactly as I feared. Hedge funds and mutual funds are starting to sell their high-growth stocks. Sell, 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 sell. Especially the techs, so they can raise money. <laughs> to participate in the coming onslaught of new deals. On a blog day where the Dow shed 32 points, S&P backslid 0.46%, the Nasdaq lost 0.63%. We saw weakness in a ton of different sectors, particularly in the Nasdaq, as big institutions learned of their allocations in the Lyft IPO that launches Friday. Now, I've tried to explain what's going on behind the scenes of this market, albeit in piecemeal fashion. No one seems to believe me. So tonight, I'm going to lay it all out for you. Because you need to understand what we're in for as we run the IPO gauntlet. Behind the scenes, there are a host of things going on all at once, right now. First, Lyft's management's traveling around the country talking to potential shareholders. Oh, boy, they like what they hear. Why wouldn't they? Ride-sharing is a powerful secular theme. And like I told you last week, Lyft's got a great growth story. Sure, it's second banana to Uber, but the numbers here are still incredible. Last year, they more than doubled their sales. And while it's not yet profitable, the gross margins are rising very rapidly. Even though Lyft is flush with $2 billion in cash and short term investments, companies offering 30.77 million shares at a range that was increased from 62 to 68 dollars to 72 to 70 to 72 this very evening. And you know what? It might not be done being lifted. I've seen them go up another level and even expand the size of the deal. See, with that revised range tonight, they're planning to raise approximately 2.2 billion dollars, and that's before you count the underwriters, what's known as green shoe, which could add another 300 million or so to these company's IPO Hall. It's a big deal. Lyft is compelling. It fits the mold. It's going to be massively oversubscribed, which is a piece of authentic Wall Street gibberish. So let me explain what it really means. When an IPO is oversubscribed, individual investors may try to get some stock on the deal. It's called very tight. Really good customers might, I don't know, maybe get 100, maybe 200 shares from the broker. But most of Lyft's shares will be designated for institutional accounts, multi-billion dollar accounts that circled stock, meaning they indicated they have a desire to own as much as they can get. Now, this morning, these big-time money managers, mostly mutual funds, but also some hedge funds, well, they got initial allocations of what they might get. And if they want to pay for that sh- those shares, they need to sell something. So today, I don't know if you noticed, but right about when they found out how much they could get on the deal, how many shares... They began the process of liquidating some of their current holdings, typically the stocks that most that look a lot like Lyft. In this case, the fastest growers, a lot of the cloud kings, a lot of semiconductors. You see them go down? You saw that as they It was right on schedule, people. It's what I've been talking about. With these proceeds, managers can take as much Lyft as the syndicate deal uh, desk will offer them. Okay, So if the syndicate does this here, here's uh, 500,000 shares, they got the money for it. Remember, most of these funds don't have a lot of spare cash just lying around. They don't have much new money coming in over the transom either. In fact, lots of money got pulled out of the market after that ter- horrific swoon in the fourth quarter. And even when new capital does come in, It tends to go to passive index funds, not actively managed hedge funds or mutual funds. Uh, Why does that matter? Because all the money managers who are clamoring for a piece of the Lyft deal need to raise cash to make those purchases happen. And the way these guys operate, they'll buy even more Lyft in the aftermarket to build up a meaningful position, which means they need to raise even more cash by doing even more selling. Let's say a gigantic fund asks for 10% of the deal. Oh, well, that's kind of what they do. They're never going to get that, but that's what they do to try to get the maximum allocation. They'll probably end up with, I don't know, let's see, 250,000 shares. we use that example. If lift prices at 72, high end of the range as of tonight, it's an $18 million transaction. they got to come up with $18 million. If you're running a major hedge fund, that 250,000 share allocation, though, isn't big enough to make a difference to your portfolio. So now... They have to buy even more when the stock opens. So let's say there's a flood of orders, including orders from home gamers, who want in wherever the stock opens. These big funds will be buying, too, in order to bulk out their position. Say, in this case, maybe that guy got 250,000 shares, gets another 250,000 shares in the open market. When you average out the IPO price, price in the deal, and the higher price they pay at the open these funds end up getting a pretty good basis, cost basis, and they're up nicely at the end of the day. And because I expect Lyft to surge right out of the gate, it makes a ton of sense for these money managers to sell Workday or a Facebook or an Alpha or a Netflix, you know, the drill, and then swap into this one. Notice I said these big funds will buy Lyft at the opening. Well, why not sell their stock? They got a big gain. Why? Because they're trying to show the brokers that they're not flippers. Every syndicate desk hates, 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 and despises people who flip out of a deal. They want a steady basis of shareholders. Remember, there are a bunch of big IPOs coming, and the brokers decide who gets a piece of the next hot deal. In my old hedge fund, I used to show my holdings to the brokers to let them know that I didn't flip, that I still owned. That way, i get a bigger piece of the next sizzling deal. Now, that's good news for hedge funds and mutual funds who got stock in the Lyft deal. But it is bad news for everyone else who owns the stocks that have become what we call sources of funds. Sell, 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 sell. Again, the Cloud Kings, the social media place, the biotechs, the FAANG names, and their imitators. They are going to be for sale, people, because the Lyft deal will make these money managers so much more money. They're desperate to raise cash for it, and they don't care how low they sell those stocks. So the selling will be indiscriminate and vicious, as it was this very morning. Price becomes irrelevant when you're trying to raise money for a red-hot deal. I bring this up because I've been short-term bearish on this market because of this IPO process. That's why we raised a bunch of cash for my travel trust, which you already know if you're part of the ActionAlertsPlus.com club. It's not Lyft that's the problem. It's not the fundamentals. It's not the inverted yield curve. It's the fact that Lyft is merely the first of many deals. I'm betting you'll see an identical series of sales when fund managers need to raise money for Pinterest or Palantir or Slack, not to mention the big daddy of them all, Uber. When we get to Uber, you better believe these hedge funds won't have a spare dime. At that point, they'll start selling anything that moves. They'll sell the healthcare, they'll sell the semis, they'll sell the retailers, restaurants, anything with growth. Also, they can get in on these red-hot IPOs, especially Uber where they're counting on regular investors to come in and push that stock into the stratosphere once it opens. When we get to Uber, if that's the last one, you can expect the buyers will be exhausted. And the existing stocks will be so darn cheap that they'll represent real value. They may even make you more money than the lower quality IPOs that come out later in that cycle. At that point, and only at that point, can this really be considered terra firma for many of the stocks in the market, the bottom line. You need to be prepared for many more mornings like we got today, okay? In the end, the stock market is like any other market. It's controlled by supply and demand. With all these big IPOs coming, we're about to get hit with a wave of supply. So, boy, no matter how hot something might be, these deals will push the rest of the market down until the tide goes out with a whimper. Not a bang. Let's go to Sandy, New Jersey. Sandy, hi Jim. I'm disappointed that that the stock of Wayfair is so weak after announcing the opening of a retail store. The company isn't using the store or stores as profit centers, but as part of a broader marketing effort to reach consumers. Where do you stand on the stock, Jim? Okay, this stock has been one horrific short squeeze. Twenty-five percent of its of its actual shares outstanding are sold short. And they're looking for anything negative to hang their hat on and banging it down. Sandy, stick with it. I think it is overvalued, like I think that Amazon's overvalued, but it could get even more overvalued. I know that sounds like greater fool theory, but I don't think that there's something really wrong with Wayfair. Can I please go to Bill in Georgia, please? Bill. Hey Jim, Bill here. Um, big time fan. Want to get your impression on Newell Brands? The symbol is NWL. Company's had some headwinds going on. I'm not really sure. I got in around 24. It's down to 15. Do I lick my wounds and get out, or do I stay long? I'm normally uh, a long, long and hold. Well, if you're long and hold, I guess. I mean, I, you know, we were talking. Ben Stoto and I were talking about doing a piece about Newell and the fact that Mike Polk's leaving. Uh, he's retiring, but. I need a catalyst, and I can't find one. Uh, I I can't recommend Newell. I just don't have a catalyst. Let's go to Linda in New Jersey, please. Linda. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Thank you for taking my call. Of course. I would like your opinion on MRK, the Merck Company stock. I know it pays a dividend, and I've had it for many years. I received it from my grandmother, and I was wondering what your opinion on the stock is, since it hasn't been doing so well. See, I and bet I bet you, Linda, you've made a ton of money on this. This is one of the great stocks of all time. Periodically, it has its ups and downs, but St. Merck is alive and well, and Ken Frazier is a fantastic steward. Keytruda is a gigantic drug. It could be one of the biggest ever. So stick with Merck. And, of course, stick with Kramer. It all boils down to supply the men. And that's why you should expect more days or at least mornings like we had. Oh, man, tonight, Calvin and Tommy are the billion-dollar brands buying PVH. But lately, the whole sector's been out of style. Can it get its swagger back on the Wall Street runway? I got the CEO fresh off earnings. Then, the the heart wants what it wants. Uh, but uh, should you listen to it? I'll explain. And Centene's multi-billion-dollar acquisition today makes it one of the biggest managers of government-sponsored healthcare plans in the U.S., well with the Trump administration stepping up to tackle the Affordable Care Act? Well, how could it impact the company's plans for a gigantic acquisition? I've got the CEO. So stay with Kramer.
1: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim
3: Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
4: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.
2: As PVH probably gotten its groove back? Sure looks like it from these numbers tonight. Last summer, the apparel company you know as Calvin Klein and Tommy Elfger saw its stock go into a tailspin. And then once the fourth quarter bear market got going, it just kept getting hammered. PVH plunged from nearly 170 at its June peak to 86 at its low in December. Since then, the stock has rebounded to 110 and change, but it's still well off its highs. Could that be about to change? PVH just reported it. Excellent quarter for the close today. An eight cent earnings speed of a buck seventy six basis, better than expected revenue, driven by some real strength of to Tommy Elfger, especially the international business. Even better, the company's guidance for the upcoming quarter in the year came in higher than anticipated. I thought it was a terrific quarter, but don't take it from me. Let's touch base with Manny Trico. He's the chairman and CEO of PVH. Find out more about the quarter and his company's prospects. Mr. Trico, welcome back to Mad Money. How are you, Jim? All right, nice Manny, to when you were here, sitting there, last time. You're on, you, you yourself were unhappy the quarter. I actually said I thought it was good, but you said, listen, we made some execution mistakes, uh, or five West 39 you weren't happy with, mm. and you promised it would not happen again, and you were very tough on yourself, but it didn't happen again, did That's it? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you got it dead right mm-hmm. this time. Yeah,
3: I think you know, we really reacted to the challenges we faced in Calvin Klein. We made the decision to close our collection business. That's we a very big quickly, move! And I think we've repositioned the, the uh, brand a lot of the uh, the fashion directions that were off, I think we've got them back on track, and I think you really see the benefit in the second half of 2019. So we're very be better happy. Ahead, we
2: better even ahead.
3: Yes, we feel we're, we're, we uh, the results in the fourth quarter were ahead of where we talked about pretty significantly. The operating margins are up over 80 basis points, and that's a big turnaround from where we were in the third.
2: Quarter. In, you remain internationally. I mean, you're just on fire internationally, aren't you? Yeah, all well, over the
3: globe. both brands. The Tommy Hilfiger brand is up. Significantly internationally. And it had a great uh, fourth quarter here right. as well. Right. So that brand continues to put up strong uh, sales growth. The earnings for the quarter at Tommy were up 25%. So we but really that's saw. Amazing. A I mean, what is it? Was it new
2: designs? Was it over the. Was it, was it uh, e commerce? How did it
3: happen? Well, our e commerce business overall is strong, but right? I think what really drove the Tommy business is the uh, continued connection with the consumer, with, with our marketing and great product execution uh, globally that's really continued. That brand is for the last two years has really continued to grow and it's been been—it's uh, been a rock star for us.
2: How does a brand that's been around for a long time suddenly accelerate? And grow? I think
3: it's, you know, look, you have to be willing to make the investments and I think we really have done it both from not only a brand marketing point of view but investing in all, all the new technologies Uh, investing in e-commerce platforms Mm -hmm. uh, that really will drive the business going forward. And then, listen, our stores are highly, highly profitable, and we need to continue to invest in those stores. The consumer experience is critical. And uh, we're making connections with a younger and younger consumer.
2: It's interesting. Your brick-and-mortar store, you got to go to Europe to see his stores. You will not believe the lines when they open. Mm -hmm. They are destination places. Is that the way you defeat the, uh, well, I know you're partners with Amazon, Mm -hmm. but, you know, just the pure online uh, flavor of the day?
3: Look, I think uh, it's a challenge. We're all dealing with the challenge of the distribution models changing. But fundamentally, we've always been a multi-channel retailer. So we have... Big businesses in brick-and-mortar, both direct-to-consumer in our own stores mm-hmm. and through our key wholesale partners like Macy's here in the U.S. or Galleries Lafayette in Europe. Those key players are, are, you know, we continue to invest back into those platforms.
2: Okay, what are we doing with denim here? What are we doing with jeans for Calvin Klein?
3: I, uh, globally, the, the jeans business got much better for us okay. uh, internationally. Uh, in the U.S., it continues to be a challenge category overall, and we've talked about that's the area in Calvin Klein that really took the biggest hit.
2: VF Corp getting rid of it, Levi Strauss just raising uh, money and doing well. I mean, is it just maybe too competitive? Do you need to be in it?
3: Uh, yeah, I think it's, a, it's a, we're a lifestyle brand, right. but and we need to put it into perspective. It, it represents about. Uh, for ca- the Calvin Klein brand, about fifteen percent of our volume is denim overall for the brand. And Tommy, it's a, it's a, it's an even lower percentage of our overall denim of okay, our so- overall uh, product category. And you know, athleisure is hot now, and both oh brands are bi- I- both brands are big in that category. Our refined sportswear right. businesses are very strong. Accessories as well, but denim is a core category. Men wear men and women wearing those that denim product. We, we need to do a better job, especially in the Calvin
2: Klein's. Okay. I want to contrast that leisure theory, which is a big secular trend. I, Manny, I know this is going to sound strange, but I went to Milan for Fashion Week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have never sp- seen so much money wasted in my life. Mm-hmm. Then I read Calvin Klein says designer fashion is over. I thought it was a misleading headline. But you're basically talking about the trend setting wardrobe shaping that I saw. Maybe it's just not a good business, it's just fun.
3: It's, um, look. I think the challenge with that high-end collection fashion business right. is uh, are you connecting with a younger consumer today, and, and how do you make your investments as you as you go forward? I think it needs to be more balanced than it's been. I think, as especially today, younger uh Younger consumers want to connect emotionally with your right. brands. They don't want to just aspire for your brands looking down the runway. They want to be part of the life of the brand. And I think it's when you could do that. And I think Tommy does it well. We just had yeah. a fashion show in Paris with Tommy selling product immediately after that, trying to connect with the consumer at more affordable price points than what you'd see it in the luxury okay. point of view. And I think that's how you build Big businesses. We're not trying to build niche, uh, you know, selling sure. just two thousand dollars men's suits or evening gowns. Right. We're trying to. We, we're really about build, build, building big
2: lifestyle. Yeah, businesses. I don't think that's a great business anymore. Look, one last question. Sure. When I ask my kids about fashion, they always say, "Dad, landfill sustainability." Yeah. In other words. Data will not buy clothes that end up in a landfill. Now, I don't really know how that works now. It doesn't. But what's your thinking about sustainable Well,
3: circularity is a key issue. Uh, the, more and more of our product is recyclable. So when it does end up in a landfill, it biodegrades and breaks down. The packaging today, which years ago was very destructive, today it's all recyclable. Really building in, it's a a key part of our initiative and our communication with our consumers, how we try to really bring in that whole aspect of sustainability back into the product. And clearly making investments in the dyeing and finishing. We just opened a plant in Ethiopia. It's vertical where we're growing the cotton there, making the product there right next to a river where there's hippopotamuses and elephants in there and we'll be successful in that part of the world when i go back there five years from now and those same elephants and hippopotamuses are in that river and that will will prove what we're trying to do so really trying to make a positive impact on the whole environment
2: i'm so thrilled that is so great man congratulations on this amazing number that you predicted you would do when you were right here three months ago that's manny Chirico, chairman and ceo Of PVH, bankable as always, mad money's back after the break. Now, last night during the lightning round, we got a great call from an actionwarsplus.com club member. He asked a simple, yet I thought devastating question. He said, Why do you own Citigroup? You could read the answer on my face was total dismay, combined with a wish that we'd never bought it for my chapel trust, so I wouldn't have to justify the position out here, or at least that's what my gut was saying, but my head had a very different response. You own Citigroup, the stock, for the tangible book value. What would be worth if you close the business liquidating everything and return the proceeds to the shareholders? This is the single most important metric for the bank stocks, not interest margin, not that, no. And if you believe the city's tangible book value is scrub clean, as I do, if you believe there's truly much, that much cash on hand, then it would be nuts to sell this stock because eventually the darn thing will work its way higher, perhaps a lot higher. In other words, it's illogical to sell the stock of Citigroup. Emotionally, it's very tough to own. But nobody should rely on their emotions to make money management decisions. Right now, Citi, the stock, is ridiculously cheap. It's trading at about $3 discount to its tangible book value. Again, that's what it would be worth if they closed the doors tomorrow. But here's the problem. Of course, they're not going to close the doors tomorrow. So either the market believes the city's going to lose that money or or believes that the money isn't really there to begin with. Citigroup has pledged to repurchase about 8% of its shares at these levels because the stock is so darn cheap. I can't where they're coming from, although I do think a dividend boost that would give it a 4% yield, not that the stock would come down, but actually give it a yield, might be more advantageous to shareholders. I know that the longer City stock stays around here, the more fat we'll hear about CEO Michael Corbett's leadership. But it's not his fault. The bank stocks are all pretty awful. And my alma mater, Goldman Sachs, is trading at a similar discount to its tangible book value. But let's depersonalize this for a second. Forget City. Forget Goldman. Let's talk about KeyCorp. Okay, parent company of uh, Key Bank, it's in Ohio. Doesn't hurt anybody. Here's a stock that sells for nearly the same price to earnings multiple as Citigroup, has a higher yield, 4.42%, and that dividend is safe. Unlike City Key is small enough to be taken over, which is probably why its stock trades at a $4 premium to its tangible book value. And I think this would be an amazing franchise for someone to buy, because the company has more than 1,100 branches across 15 states. You could argue that there's more, but that's the main states. It's extremely profitable, and it's growing at a pretty decent clip. Yet no major bank has shown any willingness to acquire KeyCorp, and the big hedge funds are steering clear. Why? Well, the prevailing wisdom is that you can't own the banks here because the yield curve is inverted. Short term interest rates are higher than some long term interest rates, and that hurts their ability to make money. Plus, everyone says that an inverted yield curve is a sign that we're headed into a recession, which would be very bad for the businesses for both key and city. I think the recession fears people are totally overblown. But the simple fact is that there's no real catalyst for the bank stocks unless the Fed decides to cut interest rates several times. I don't see that happening. So, what's the end game here? There is none stagnation and stagnation is unacceptable to most portfolio managers beyond that the action in the bank stocks is a complete repudiation of the concept of value for my entire 39 career 39 years 39 years of career, uh, uh, picking stocks the market's always had a preference for growth but i've never seen such a willingness to totally ignore or bail out of a whole class of equities that have no serious problems and are making mounds of cash maybe this is a failure of the market's imagination but I can't think of anything that could make these stocks rally. Unless, unless I sell Citi for the travel trust, in which case there's a chance the whole group will catch fire simply because the universe is out to get me. Yep, as logical as it is to own Citigroup Group here, maybe we're sticking with it. Why? Because of an irrational fear, an irrational fear that the stock will finally start rallying the moment we decide to sell. Let's go to Jim in Colorado. Jim. Hello, Kramer. Thank you for taking my call. Oh, you're quite welcome.
4: I am looking at the chart of Charles Schwab, and in late October, I see what appears to be the first shoulder of an inverse head and shoulders pattern, with Christmas
2: lows being the head. And most importantly, on 325, there is a spinning top candlestick following a set-off, which is usually a good indicator of a reversal.
4: Which also shows the uh, bottom of a second shoulder. If you look at this, you think it's going to climb back up? Yeah, to the next I mean, time? I
2: see that pattern. I totally see that pattern. It is an inexpensive stock, but in the end, it's a financial, and uh, I'm having a hard time recommending any financials because they're such houses of pain. I'm going to include that one in the house of pain. Jack in Ohio,
4: Jack. Hey, thanks for help- helping us out, Jimmy. Doing my best. I'm wanting to. I'm wanting to venture out and add a bank to my holdings. Mm. And I really like their. And I really like their phone app. And the yields right above three percent, which really isn't too bad for a bank. Okay. It's a U.S. It's U.S. Bank Corp. U.S.B.
2: Oh, Stephanie, Stephanie, and I used to love that one in the in the uh, roaring days when bank stocks still worked. Uh, I think we're going to take a pass on that. Uh, I I just can't. It, it sells at eleven times earnings. I got like a lot of banks selling at eight times earnings, and nobody wants that. So I think eleven times earnings without really a possibility. Well, maybe someone could take it over, but I don't see that happening. I say, don't buy, don't, don't buy, don't buy. All right, Citigroup is a value name. Logically, it should be owned unemotionally. All right, much more mad money ahead. A record $181 billion is spent on healthcare deals this year alone. And another $17 billion just got kind of added to the mix. I'm talking to the CEO of Centene after its acquisition to find out what's ahead for the company. Then I'm getting a real read on jobs and the economy from the CEO of Paychex. He's got one special office report, and order calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer.
3: Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street, live from Post Nine at the NYSE.
2: I took a call from someone in a very high-level company on my watch while I was in a jam, indisposed, so to speak. It was perfect.
4: I don't have a watch because you know why? This tells me the time, and it's basically up right here anyway. you got to get with the program.
3: It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
2: Last night, you know, I made a desperate plea for consolidation. What this market needs right now is a wave of mergers and acquisitions. It's the only thing that can offset all the new stock supply coming from this deluge of pending IPOs. In particular, I highlighted the managed care space as being ripe for more deals. The health insurance stocks have been pollaxed lately, with the most recent leg down driven by worries about the Trump administration's new plan to convince the courts to overturn Obamacare, something that could wipe out a lot of businesses for these companies. Uh, plus, i mean, I got to tell you, it seems very unlikely to me because Chief Justice Roberts, already upheld Obamacare once. I I bet he does it again. But this pullback has made many of the managed care stocks too cheap to ignore, and that's where Centene comes in. This company's a health plan provider for government-sponsored programs like Medicare, Medicaid, and Obamacare exchanges, so they have a lot of exposure to Washington. And just this morning, we learned that Centene's doubling down on their Medicare and Medicaid business by acquiring WellCare for $15.27 billion in cash and stock, 32% premium. This deal should generate $500 million in annual cost synergies and be additive to earnings in the second Year after it closes, Wall Street's response: skepticism. Centene stock got clobbered on the news, plunging five percent today. I think you're getting a good buying opportunity here, but don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Michael Nidorf, the chairman and CEO of Centene, to learn more about the WellCare deal and what's happening in the entire managed care space. Mr. Nidorf, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Good How are you? See you? Have a oh, seat. All you. right. So, with so much uncertainty. With people leading the news with what's going to happen and how we don't know where Medicare is going and the exchange are going, you make your, one of your biggest moves ever. How can you justify doing it when no one has a crystal ball right now?
1: Well, there are no crystal balls. What I've always found when there's a certain amount of uncertainty, there's a challenging environment, that's the time to act. That's when it's the best opportunity. Nobody's watching. Nobody's expecting it. You take a play that makes sense. This acquisition made more sense. Than, I, than I've seen in a long time.
2: Okay, well, tell me why, because I think the stocks, I'll give you my view, I think these stocks are, put my old hedge fund hat on, for sale. They're all going down.
1: So why not wait? Well, we, we did wait. I mean, there was a time the stock was a lot higher. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so we did wait. The time was right, and some things don't come back around. Okay. Well, these are two good companies, in my opinion. You're putting them together. They're high-growth industries. They have complementary products that work well together. We've had the objective to really build our Medicare product. They have a strong Medicare product. We have a technology platform they need for their work. Geographic, it expands our footprint. We're in all 50 states in some form. We had three new states. We strengthened Michigan. Just everything, every aspect of it, short-term, I, I, I don't think about it. We, we have a lot of time and patience for our long-term investors, and we have a lot of them. Okay. So and I'm going to bet a year from now. We sit down and talk. You're going to say to me, you did it at the right time.
2: Oh, I want to ask you that because one of these analysts comes out and says, C- CNC CEO died succession plan has been a recurring question. His contract runs out until 2021. I mean, it sounds like that you did this because you're almost done.
1: My contract runs to 2024. The board just extended it. Well, it's, so it's, he got it wrong. Okay. <laughs> Takes
2: care of that, right?
1: Yeah. You know, Why on Wall Street you worships know, you know, idiot, I, I, right? And I, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to about that. Anything, but you know, I get my annual checkups. Uh, well, stay, stay strong. I feel good. It's, we're having a lot of fun. They, the board asked me if I'd stay longer. They're going to have a choice of about three or four people to choose from in the next three four years. Oh, and what's okay. important is we don't want to change the culture of this company. Right.
2: Okay, so now, uh, when I hear, if I watch Nancy Pelosi, happy, happy birthday, 79, yes. and I watch Ted Cruz this morning, and I listen, and they have such fundamentally different views about what should be done with the government and health care. What should be done with the government and health care?
1: I think we need to. There's certain things we can do to strengthen Obamacare, as they call, I call it the ACA. Right. Make it more Let I me mean, use the name. Use the name of it. Yeah. Yeah. But I really I really think there's a lot of things that can be done to strengthen it. I think the Democratic Party's trying to do that. People want to have a card. They want to go into a doctor and say, here's what we had eighty percent of the people we had last year renew this year, and that's occurred every year. We get eighty percent back. They like it, they're pleased with it. If they bring in more people instead of trying to hurt it, the costs are gonna come down. So there's an opportunity to make it more affordable. And we're teaching people how to use insurance. So right. as they move up the social economic ladder, they understand what it is, and you start to tear off the supplements. It's it's ideal.
2: Why do I hear that there's always runaway medical costs? When I look at your outcomes, they're better than almost everyone's, and I look at your costs, and they're lower than almost everyone's. Why do not do I not hear about centene?
1: You know, I don't know. You know, I'm just going to keep doing our things that we're. But doing it's, it's true. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I believe it's true. We're using our systems, our technology to help reduce costs and get ahead of the curve. If we can, if we can see somebody's potassiums going up right. and they're at risk for a cardiac event and let their doctor know before they know about it, and you save a heart attack or some other serious problem, you've saved costs, but you've also helped the outcome. Well, will you That's integrate the
2: Apple Watch? Have you looked at right. it? They know what they're doing? Yeah, sure. So it's an idea?
1: I think it's an idea. It's it's headed in the right direction. It's technology. It's making technology work for
2: you. Okay, one last question. Uh, We were with Larry Merlot from CVS last week. I I read this, and I think, judging from the Q&A at the end, he's the big loser. Now, you did say attractive opportunities for them to to improve on the contract. So will he still have a shot as being your pharmacy benefit manager?
1: We have this advanced Rx, which is really the next generation, and it's more. It manages pharmaceutical costs. I want to move to net pricing. I want to get away from rebates, and I'm working hard to get there by the end of the year. But the issue with— Well, you're
2: actually trying to add transparency to the system. Exactly. You know that that hurts a lot of people.
1: It can, well, I, I don't believe transparency ever hurts anybody.
2: You're <laughs> no, being a little I, facetious.
1: I know. I know. I know. But I But I really believe that they're, they're going to be part of our system. They have a retail output, They have other things. We're going to try and work with everybody to make it more effective.
2: Next year at this time, this deal could begin to make a lot of money. I want to know how it will do, because I know that I saw President Trump say today that, yesterday, that the Republican Party is going to be the party of health care. Right. How will the party of health care work with you?
1: Well, let's, let's wait and see what they try to do first. They have lots of ideas. Right. They have no ideas. What they have is, let's eliminate it. We'll replace it. Well, they've tried that. Right. I believe that it's going to hurt them politically. They keep doing it. The last election? I believe people were worried about their health care.
2: <sighs> they're worried about the cost and they're worried about having it. That's right. Worried about having exactly. it. Okay, I want to thank Michael Nydorf, CEO of Centene, on coming on a very big day where they created a Medicare, Medicaid powerhouse. Man, money's back. into the break. <laughs> it is time. to live. to the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Steve? Got yeah, it's time for the lightning round because you might as well start with John. And you're John. Booyah, Jimmy, booyah. All right, back at you, partner. Just got back from Big Al. Copper style pizza with dinner. I'm looking at my fave. You turn me on. Okay, oh, thank
1: you.
2: Thank you. SBMK. SBMK Survey Monkey? no, Mike, fabulous quarter. A lot of people didn't react to it correctly at the beginning. When they dug down, they liked what Xander had to say, and I did too. The stock came too cheap. It should never have been down where it was. Now I'm going to Tom in the Illini. Tom. Booyah, Kramer. How are you? I am doing well. How about you? I'm doing fantastic.
1: Listen, I want to ask you about Axum Therapeutics.
2: Yeah, they got some sort of great breakthrough designation on a new drug, but we're not going to cuff it. No how, no way. We're going to find out what that ramp's about. We have a list of homework, and we better get we better get it. Maybe the dog ate it. Come on, let's focus. Sean in Ohio. Sean. Booyah, Jim. Sean here calling from the shores of Lake Erie, Ohio. All right. First, I'd like to thank you for being the man. <laughs> I try to be the and man. Now my question for you is in regards to sprints. Two device men. No, no, no. We're seller's win. Yep. If you wanna play that game, you gotta buy T Mobile, which is the one I've been behind the whole way. John Ledger T Mobile. John bye. knows I've been behind bye, it. Bye, even bye. when he's wavered, I've been there. Bye bye bye, ah. bye bye! bye bye! Bye bye Rose in California, please, Rose. Hi, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Hey, I'm in the
4: house of pain with Neo, which is down fifty percent in one month.
2: Should Ugh. I just cut my losses here, Jim? No, not down at four. I had a lot of bad money in it after that sixty minutes piece, and then it's just kind of cratered. I do not want you in the stock ultimately, but I think I can't count and sell you down here for that at four. That would be a mistake. I need to go to David in Wisconsin. David. Jim, big mad money shout out to my wife and kids. Of my course. question is about GE. Uh is it gonna maintain this ten dollar level? Even through the next earnings it report. It does feel like that it's been epoxied to 10. Um, I feel I don't look, it's Larry Culp. He's doing his thing. It's gonna take a little while. It's not an overnight fix. He's approaching it correctly. I wouldn't touch it. Okay? I wouldn't touch it. Uh and you go to Steven Ollw Steve. Jimmy, baby! Yeah. The stock is JD. It's been moving favorably for the past three months. I'm hungry. Can I get the whole enchilada on this one? No, yeah, gonna, you, you I'd rather have you go to Bar San Miguel. I'll treat you to Corona before you do that. Uh, yeah, I saw one of those guys on Fast Money he was saying, hey, listen, buy JD. Hey, listen, maybe it goes up. I, uh, to me, it's a dice roll. And I, I don't invest that way. I like to have uh, more than dice. Let's go to Daryl, New York. Daryl. Hey, what's going on, Kramer? I just want to ask you a question about uh, AWK. What do you think of it as a stock? You know, it's been fine. I've been I've liking that forever. I mean, I've never had a problem with that one. It's just a good stock. It's slow growth. Slow and steady wins the race. This is an A S O P stock. All right, let's go to, oh, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: Expectations are everything in this business. When a stock runs up into earnings, the results had better be picture perfect. Anything less than that is going to sell off. So uh, just look at Paychex, the second largest payroll processor in America. It's growing sideline in HR outsourcing. This morning, Paychex reported a robust quarter. They beat Wall Street's earnings estimates by a penny, or of an 88-cent basis with higher-than-expected revenue, up 14% year-over-year. But it wasn't perfect. Management left their guidance for 2019 fiscal year untouched. They're conservative people. Some else were hoping they'd raise numbers. preliminary revenue growth some thought tad disappointing. While I like the numbers, Paychex had rallied 23% year-to-date going into the quarter. 23%. So its shares got a little ding today, down a little bit over 1%. At one point, it was much more down. But here's the thing. This stock has a habit of pulling back after Paychex reports solid results. And then a few days later, it starts climbing again. Can that pattern continue? Let's check in with Marty Musi. the president and CEO of Paychex. to a better sense of the quarter, where his company's headed. Marty, welcome back to Mad Money.
0: Thanks, Jim. Good to be here.
2: Marty, you are putting on some incredibly really accelerating organic revenue growth seven uh, percent uh, that's four consecutive quarters of acceleration up from forward change uh, for Q4 eighteen. how are you doing it?
0: Well, it's our HR outsourcing is the primary one. that's growing double digits, very strong demand for those services and perfect time that we've introduced more product enhancements in the last quarter that will really help small and mid-sized businesses. Bring in more employees and keep them and retain them uh, in their business
2: you're also the penetration of HR services uh, companies outsourcing more than their HR spend is really going your way. Uh, you were getting in with one of your products and then you're landing and expanding with the rest I imagine.
0: Uh, we really are you know sometimes it just starts with payroll and basic HR support, sometimes time and attendance solutions, and then it quickly grows to retirement and now our learning management helps. Train employees as well as performance manage them and data analytics we're adding a lot of data analytics using our large client base for uh, companies to see how they compare to other companies across the country
2: well let's go there because you did talk about uh you talked about bots, you talked about uh, artificial intelligence, you talked about uh, a lot of tech. That was the first time I really just heard you drill down on that. So explain to people, because we have all these tech companies, come on, we have a live person, come on, we had this five, nine, come on, yes. There are a lot of different services that you are using, chat bots, whatever, to become much more productive.
0: We are, and it's really because of the client demand, you know, Jim, a lot of clients and their employees really are demanding self-service now they're looking for ways to go in and get answers and do things themselves and the chatbots basically we allow chat with live chat but a lot of things can be answered by a chatbot alone which is an automatic response that's very quick and can take the client right to what they need to do over 45 percent of our chats now are done by the chat bot. They're, they're done and resolved right there. It helps the client quickly resolve what their issue is without ever having to talk to anybody. Much more efficient for everyone involved.
2: Now, on this call also, you did a the best exposition I've heard about the, about the macro economy. I mean, you talked about what it's like to actually the unintended consequences of, of full employment, right?
0: Yeah. Yes, as you know, small and mid-sized businesses a lot of times can't compete for employees in a tough market like it is today. But a lot of the products that we give them, these employees are looking for, even if it's a small and mid-sized business, do they have health insurance? Do they offer a retirement plan? And that's why the demand is growing for these services, even as a small business today.
2: How do you weave through uh, the notion of the, uh, the different cannabis laws? Uh, and also people who got arrested, well, <laughs> went to jail for cannabis, uh, and they actually are, I mean, these days wouldn't be arrested. I mean, it just seems like case state to state. I mean, everybody's trying to figure out what to do with this stuff.
0: Yeah, it's... This is, it's a big challenge because it's state by state, right? If it was a federal uh, law, it would be one thing, but these are state by state. Some states allow it for recreational, some uh, only for medicine purposes, and others don't allow it at all. So we're really working, our 500 HR specialists around the country are working with our clients to help them uh, design a drug policy, evolve their drug policy, to really help them know what to do to stay out of any issues that they may have when hiring or uh, terminating an employee.
2: Um, I've got to give you your due on Oasis. I think it was a fabulous acquisition. We haven't really talked about it. Why don't you tell people what this brought? Uh, because PEO is a term that may not be uh, as uh, well known with our audience as it is in your industry.
0: Yeah, from a, a PEO, a professional employer organization, is really where you become kind of a, we become a co-employer with you. So many companies, uh, we can give a much better health insurance plan uh, if they. Uh, Past the underwriting, they can get into a health insurance plan that offers them much better options than they normally would be able to as a smaller, mid-sized company. That attracts and retains employees, Uh, and the combination of Oasis, which was the largest private PEO we acquired December 20th, has been very strong for both of us. We're going to have larger scale that gives us better uh, relationships with insurance carriers, expands into more states, and allows us to sell our wide product uh, offerings. To the Oasis base that has been in place already.
2: Now, why were you able to get that? I mean, to me, that was just a plum acquisition. I, I so many people want to be in that business. It was just available to you. I mean, I, you know, you, you kind of. I'm not saying you stole it because they're good people, but that was a great acquisition.
0: Yeah, how'd you get it? It, it was well. Thanks. I. Well, uh, you know, we've been in the PEO business ourselves for about 20 years now. So uh, we had an expertise in that. We had bought HROI, another PEO, the previous year. And I think Oasis and the leadership team there, Mark Perlberg and the team that are staying with Oasis with us and now leading our PEO business. Uh, saw the strength of paychecks and the strength of scale of coming together and really liked our aggressive ability to go out and proactively offer great products set to clients to drive their growth and our growth together so it's the integration is well underway and we're feeling really good about double-digit growth continuing in that PEO business.
2: Nice, One last question. You have a great handle on things. I have to believe with the unemployment the way it is the state of the consumer is much better than we often chatter about on TV.
0: Yeah, I think it is. I think, you know, consumer confidence is still strong. Uh, I think the businesses, the the optimism is down a little bit for businesses, but it's mostly because it's difficulty finding someone, right, to hire, as we've talked about. But um, they are finding ways to do that. You're bringing in more of the fringe, uh, those who weren't necessarily interested in being employed before now coming in and actually being trained by the businesses. It's It's a positive thing. And I think, you know, the economy still looks strong. There's still good consumer confidence and need for products. It's just... Filling the jobs is the toughest part right now.
2: Well, let's leave it there because that's certainly a high high quality problem for our country. That's Marty Musi, President and CEO of Paychex. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, Jim. We've been uh, on the stock for double, telling you to continue to own it. I think it could go up much more. Still crazy. Great numbers tonight from PVH. Wow. And remember, that's Calvin Klein and Tommy Hilfiger. And then also from Lululemon. These were two blowouts, and I don't think a lot of people were looking for them. Matter of that, a lot of people short these two stocks. Well, that's nuts. They are going much higher. Even if you see them up 15, 16 points, do not sell. Because both these were bit against by a lot of hedge funds, and now they have to come in and buy them back. Yes, that you are that negative. I like to say there's always a bull market, somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you tomorrow.
4: I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day clearly and concisely in context and with perspective and tell people what's happening what it all means get the truth not the spin the news with shepherd smith subscribe to the podcast today